The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and this is the 20th day of September 2016. Um, I'd like to thank each of you for listening to this show. I'd like to also remind you that I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, and... Uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? And Chen, actually, uh, we want to congratulate Chen today for a home run that he just hit. Uh, he has been steadfastly recommending, pounding the table for Sarepta, uh, this, uh, this company, Sarepta Therapeutics. Uh, it traded as low as $8 this year. Today, it was trading as high as 56 on the news that the company has gotten FDA approval for a drug that will save the lives of many young men that are destined to die by the age of 20 or so. Uh, Chen has uh, passionately championed this drug, has worked very hard uh, politically to try to do what he could to get it, uh, to get it moving forward. Uh, and so we, uh, we joyfully uh, are thankful to Chen for his efforts and, uh, and very happy for the subscribers that have made money uh, owning Sarepta. And those of you who would like to follow Chen and buy his newsletter, uh, go to miningstocks.com to sign up for Chen's letter or my letter. And uh, we certainly have had a number of very successful calls this year, too, with the gold price heading higher. I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Coral Gold Resources, New Legacy Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Columbus Gold, RN Resources, and Ariane Phosphate. Well, speaking of Ariane Phosphate, in a few minutes after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Brian Ostroff. He is the CEO and director of Ariane Phosphate. While most of our sponsors are gold or silver miners, I don't want to limit the opportunity to make money from other worthwhile industries as well. And, and for reasons that you will learn in a few minutes, Ariane Phosphate has the potential to not only play a role in feeding the world's population, but doing so in a much more environmentally friendly way than its competitors, most of its competitors, at least in the phosphate fertilizer business. The, the economics of the company's project in Quebec appear to be very robust, and shares of Ariane 
uh, phosphate appear to be massively undervalued. At least that's the way I see it. It is a company that I've covered in my newsletter. Uh, so I do hope that you'll stick around and listen to what Brian Ostroff has to say as soon as we come back from our first uh, our first break. I'd like to point you to miningstocks.com, not only to, subscri- to subscribe to my newsletter in Chen's, but also to keep up with the companies that I'm following on uh, in in my newsletter and uh, our sponsors as well. For example, New Legacy Gold announced today uh, that it had put out uh, that it had a, a very good solid intersection of gold intersection. Uh, you can read about that. Go to miningstocks.com. Click on the link. Also, uh, there is a link there that describes. It's actually a video that describes why RN Resources, another sponsor of ours, why it is one of my favorite. Actually, my second. Uh, largest holding RN Resources, a company I think people are going to make a lot of money in. Uh, those who who buy the shares now are likely to as long as this gold bull market persists. And of course, we talked to you last week about Novo Resources and Novo. There's some things there at miningstocks.com that I'd like you to follow up on as well. Uh, New Legacy will be with me next week, actually. James Anderson, uh, who is with the company, will be here to talk about their exciting iceberg project, which is uh, displaying some very, very sizable gold intersections, which bode very well for the progress of that Carlin-style gold deposit in Nevada. And uh, RN Resources will also be with me very soon uh, for an update as well. And also at miningstocks.com, I, I have a lot of, uh, I think, very interesting articles. There are links to interesting articles uh, under the section, Why Gold's Inevitable Rise to Thousands of Dollars. Uh, James Turk uh, has an article there, The World is Headed for a Crisis, Far Greater Than That of 2008. I think it's a very worthwhile read. Uh, junk bond traders pile into bearish bets ahead of the Fed. And also another article, Housing Starts Tumble Despite Surging Home Builder Confidence. Those are just a few of the articles you can read at miningstocks.com. Go there, click on the links, and uh, away you go. We've titled today's show, What Happens to Gold When Stocks and Bonds Both Collapse? Alistair McLeod, Michael Oliver will be with me and just, well, he's with me and we'll be talking to him just momentarily. And Brian Ostroff, as I said, will be with us after the first commercial break. Well, recently over the past several months, there appears to have been uh, at least somewhat of a breakdown in the relationship between U.S. equities and treasuries. It used to be that when the equity market went down, uh, the bond market, the U.S. treasuries would go up and vice versa. When money uh, when money went into the uh, equity markets, the, the bond markets will go down. Well, now we're seeing that treasuries on many occasions going down along with the equity markets. So why is this happening? This is one of the main topics we want to talk to uh, we want to talk to Alistair McLeod about, but for now, let's check in with Michael Oliver. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with me. You know, it was uh, probably over a year now or so you've been warning about these great changes in plate tectonics and you talked about how the S&P and the T-bond, uh, the treasuries would would both head down lower. That's what your technicals were telling you, your momentum structural analysis. Where do we stand now with that? And and why do you think that might be taking place? I mean, can you think of a rational reason why both could go down at once? I know you're a technical guy and you like to focus on that and not try to let uh, you know reason enter into, uh, into what the markets may be doing because none of us have enough knowledge to know for sure why markets are doing collectively, why markets are doing what they're doing. But first of all, where does the S&P and T-bond stand? And then perhaps if you can offer some rationale why they might both go down together. 
Well, they were both been priced largely not by market forces, but by central banks, uh, even to the point of buying stocks. Uh, BOJ buys stocks, ETFs, uh, and including outside of Japan. Uh, Swiss National Bank uh, has been buying U.S. stocks. I mean, it's. I think they own a lot of Apple, you know, and so forth and so forth. Sure. So Pricing mechanisms that are not free market forces. They're not voluntary exchanges. They're forced money goes into a market to put it where uh, the central bank thinks it ought to be as opposed to where the market says it ought to be. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they know better, of course. You know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, we're, right. we're in that predicament. We've, we've seen about six years of this now to the extreme. It's never, never been matched in global financial history in terms of the concerted effort by central banks across the developed world, especially uh, developed markets, uh, to price certain assets like uh, debt markets, cost of money, and even equities at levels that aren't sustainable otherwise. So the question is, can they do it forever? And the answer, of course, is no, because they never succeed ultimately in any goal they pursue. And you can go back through history and find this is true. Uh, they, all, all the events that they create unwind at some point and create another boom-bust phase. Uh, they're the parents of the boom-bust cycle. Uh, without them, I doubt we would have one. Um, but we do have one, and we've got one excessive, that's excessive now. Both uh, stocks and bonds are priced very high, yields are very low, <laughs> and there's technical evidence that it's shifting. Uh, I think they'll both go together, roughly speaking. I don't mean to say that there's been a notice lately uh, on the financial channels that bonds and stocks tend to go together day by day. Don't expect that to continue Mm -hmm. necessarily day by day or even week by week. But in very broad strokes, I think that we are topping the debt markets. I'm talking the German bonds, Japanese government bonds, the JGBs, and the U.S. 30-year Treasury, especially those three. Uh, And as they top and head down, yields will go up, and they will go up rapidly. and that should shock uh, the heck out of the stock markets mm-hmm. that will go with them. Um, you got to remember, stock markets aren't just what we see in the U.S. on nightly news, S&P and the Dow. Those are highly unrepresentative of what stock assets in the developed world are doing. Look at the Nikkei 225 or the DAX, especially look at Italy. These stock markets are very sick. They're way off the highs of 2015. Uh, if we were at comparable levels, the S&P probably right now would be trading down around uh, 1,700 or something, mm-hmm. close to uh, 2,100. So uh, the S&P is, is not really a good representative sampling of, quote, stocks. Uh, it's a very narrow sampling. But I do think they'll move together. And simultaneously, mm-hmm. as the good vibes that they have generated in the past few years for investors dissipate, and after all, think about it, uh, in December of 2014, the S&P was trading just below 2,100 at a peak. Mm-hmm. We're trading just above 2,100. It's almost yeah. two years later. So that's not really a good feeling. And mm-hmm. remember, that's just one of the strongest indices in the world. So the feeling is the good feeling goes away. Investors start to get nervous. Uh, they start to move elsewhere. And they're sophisticated enough now to recognize opportunities and commodities. Mm-hmm. Commodities as a class have been beat off the page from 2011 through the lows of 2015, or some of them are even making new lows, like hogs, for example. Uh, they're undervalued as a class, and it doesn't require a fundamental argument for an investor to begin to shift commodity-related investments. They've done it before, so it's not a new thing for investors. They did it back mm-hmm. in 2000, 2011. They made a lot of money there. 
a lot of them made a lot of money in the 19, late 70s. So it's not exactly something new and strange. And as the vibes get better and better in the commodity arena, for example, if you bought gold in January or bought the S&P in January, <coughs> you're up slightly in the S&P. You're up vastly more in gold. So it's not just been a month or two or three. It's been three-quarters of a year of the vibes going in the direction of gold, silver, even oils up more in the S&P mm-hmm. this year. So right, it's, interesting. It's an issue, really, of, of biofeedback. Yeah. And once well, that generates sufficient momentum, so to speak, the investors will flow that way because it works. Uh-huh, and uh, it and feeds it, on itself, yeah. It feeds on well, itself. Yeah. Yeah, well, Michael, you know, uh, we're really basically out of time, but I want to say that you and I are old enough to remember 2000 and 2000 uh, to 2011 and the 1970s. You and I, yes, we're both old enough to remember those days. We were young men then, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, th- those are those are times where you get rising interest rates and the gold price went higher too, right? So it can happen. But the young people that are behind their desks now for J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and this—they've never seen that sort of thing, so it should be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and they weren't taught in school because the, uh, uh, you know, the gods of Wall Street know best, right? So uh, anyway, they're about to be taught a lesson, I think, and. you know, markets have a way of humbling people. Uh, Richard Russell used to remind himself of that all the time. So, um, And I, I know you've been around long enough to know it as well. But your work has been remarkable. Michael, I want to thank you very much for being with us. And again, folks, it's Oliver MSA, OliverMSA.com to learn more about the, That is the correct site. We're, it's under new construction. So okay. a lot of it will not function. So when you go there, don't be disappointed if some of the buttons don't work. There's a major redo of the site and also an increase in our rates, unfortunately, or fortunately oh. for me. <laughs> anyway, the site is under construction and partly up. Well, it's understandable if rates are going up because you've been very, very successful, and we thank you very much for sharing your insights to a certain extent, to a very limited extent, I might add, on this show, but nonetheless very much appreciated. Thank you very much, Michael, for being with thank us again, did. and I hope you can be with us again next week. Well, folks, we do have to go to commercial break. Brian Ostroff will be with me. Don't go away. We'll be right back to learn about a very exciting, yes, it's a fertilizer stock, but it's very, very exciting. A company, I think, has a great deal of upside potential, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Brian Ostroff. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project, located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. 
Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well-positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Brian Ostroff. Brian is the CEO and director of Ariane Phosphate. It's a, uh, he is also a graduate of the University of Toronto. Uh, in 1987, he joined RBC Dominion Securities, where his focus was on smaller cap special situation as well as alternative investments. In 1999, Brian joined the uh, mergers and acquisition advisory firm Gold Rich Capital, where he was the Canadian managing partner overseeing mandates across uh, a spectrum of industries with a focus on display technologies and mining. In, 19, in 2004, Brian moved over uh, to the trading desk of the business where he uh, spent a year as a proprietary trader with a large Canadian bank and subsequently on his own uh, for four years prior to joining Windermere Capital as managing director. And his area of focus is in the junior and mid-tier mining sector, which is one of the reasons Brian and I have uh, have talked many times in the past. Uh, he is, uh, Brian, as uh, uh, has sat on the Ariane Phosphate Board of Directors since 2014. Thanks for joining me, Brian. Well, Jay, thank you for having me. Really good to have you on the show. Uh, Ariane Phosphate is a company I've been following for quite a few years, a few years anyway. Uh, trades in Toronto under the symbol DAN, and you can buy it as I have down here in the United States under the symbol DRRSF. 97.6 million shares at around 65 cents U.S. money earlier today. That's where it was trading anyway. And the market cap uh, in United States dollars around $63 million. Well, the company is moving a world-class phosphate project forward towards production. It's a project known as the Lac Paul project. It's located in Quebec. Uh, so, Brian, I'd like you to talk a little bit about phosphate. You know, we, th- we know, I think, people more commonly think of potash and some other things, but tell us about phosphate. What's unique about phosphate? What can it do, and why is it so necessary uh, for good crop yields and healthy plants? Why, why is phosphate necessary? Okay, so, you know, to your point, Jay, I, I, I think you really touch on something here. 
Uh, phosphate's one of the three nutrients used in fertilizer, potash and, and nitrogen being the other two. And I, I think what happens is, certainly in investors' minds, it's all used in fertilizer, therefore it must all be the same. Potash is kind of the, the big brother. People know that potash prices have, have been pretty poor, been going down for the last few years, and, and I think make the mistake that, well, if, if things are bad for potash, things must be bad for phosphate. And, and mm-hmm. that's just not accurate. Uh, for all of it, phosphate, phosphate rock prices have, have hung in. Um, I think that that's for several reasons, but uh, you know, certainly it, it's important for your listeners to understand that they are different. So talking about phosphate itself, uh, it is a, a necessary component. You need all three. Just because potash prices, for example, are down, you can't use twice as much potash and, and no phosphate. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting about phosphate is you know, we run a deficit here in North America, uh, as does South America and Western Europe and, and Asia, and, and the whole world is, is basically in varying degrees of, of deficit when it comes to phosphate. And so that begs the question, where do we all get it from? And most of that does come from the Middle East and North Africa, uh, Morocco is a, a huge player in the phosphate markets. They actually represent about four times the amount in the phosphate market than Saudi Arabia does in, in the oil market. Uh, Tunisia used to be the second largest, but Arab Spring has taken out about 80% of <laughs> that uh, production, and, and certainly places like Algeria, Egypt, Jordan, Syria... This is where the phosphate comes from. And so certainly uh, for the rest of the world, it's, it's pretty important that we understand that. And, and for us specifically here in North America, we, we do run a deficit of about 4 million tons, and, and that's anticipated to, to double over the next kind of five years. And, you know, the, the other thing I'll just touch on briefly with, with regards to phosphate is, you know, I, I know a lot of your listeners are gold guys, and, and the gold that you dig out of the ground in, in Argentina or, or Siberia or, or here in Quebec, it's all the same. It, it all trades for the same prices, and, and that's just not the case for phosphate. Uh, Each deposit has subtle differences. It affects the pricing, but there is one really big difference. Uh, Most of the world's phosphate comes from something called the sedimentary deposit, and and in that is is a lot of um, byproducts, uh, some of them quite nasty, like uranium or thorium or cadmium, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the world has seen over the last few days with what's gone on with mosaic that mm-hmm. when you take this type of phosphate rock and you turn it into fertilizer, your, your byproduct has to be properly stored, or some of these bad elements will make their way into the water. The, your tailing dams have to work. And, um, you know, unfortunately that hasn't happened. Now, there are these rare deposits called uh, igneous, and, and there's mm-hmm. less than a dozen in the world. And these are high purity. They, they don't have the, the nasty elements, and, and it allows you to make a clean phosphate. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll just throw this in. 
Um, most phosphate, as, as your listeners understand, make its way into fertilizer, but mm-hmm. um, some of it is making its way now into food. Anyone who drinks Coca-Cola or has any kind of deli sandwich or, or what have you is, is probably consuming phosphate. Mm. And so we're going to need more of this uh, higher quality phosphate, and, and supplies of that really are pretty limited. So, Brian, your uh, your Lacapal project is an igneous project, right? Is an igneous deposit, it, with it lacking it. the kind of nasties that we're seeing with the one down in Florida that just came into the news. It, exactly. So it it does make the this clean concentrate. Uh, uh, in fact, it's one of the purest, if not the purest, in the world. The only thing comparable to it comes out of the Kola Peninsula in Russia. So um, this is a uh, ideal in that it can be used in fertilizer, but again, can be used in a bunch of these specialty applications. And the plus, of course, is you will also be able to get a, a much premium price. So on average, the, this type of concentrate, you will get kind of 50%, 60% more than, than, say, the stuff coming out of Morocco. Okay, so you should get higher margins, which was really leading to my next question, Brian. You know, uh, it's all fine and dandy to have an environmentally clean product, but if if you can have better margins with it as well, so much the better. But can you give us, what can you tell us, uh, if anything, about the economics of the Lacapal project at this stage? All right, so it is uh, an enormous deposit. Um, Today, uh, including inferred, it is well over a billion tons, which makes this the world's single largest greenfield uh, phosphate deposit. Um, it's projected at being able to produce three million tons of concentrate a year, which should bring in gross profits of of well over a hundred dollars a ton, which would give you over three hundred million dollars a year. In, in gross profit. Um, the, the deposit is, is very well situated. It's in the mining-friendly jurisdiction of Quebec. It's a couple of hours north of Chicoutimi. Infrastructure is there. There's a, a power dam about 30 kilometers away. We've already contracted with Hydro to get our, our power supply. Roads exist. Uh, port exists. We, we are looking to build a loading facility on the north shore of, of the river. But we are pretty fortunate in, in that it's ideally situated. Uh, again, it's, it's far enough away from, from any population centers, but close enough to, to be able to have access to a very strong and capable workforce. This project today is is the foremost project going on in the province. Uh, when construction begins, it's going to uh, hire or require the employment of, of over 2,000 people. Um, it should generate about $12.5 billion in economic benefit to the region, over a billion dollars in employment revenue in the first 25 years. Um, and look, it's, it's something the government's pretty excited about, too. It should generate about uh, $4 billion in, in direct and indirect taxes. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining-friendly Quebec and, once in production, will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and D-R-R-S-F in the U.S. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. Well, we had a little uh, a little technical difficulty. We lost Brian uh, during the conversation. We're going to try to finish up here with Brian. Brian, I think we left where we left off. We were talking about uh, your role as a CEO and what was behind that. You had been a financier to the company for a number of years, uh, and then uh, you have just recently, over the last year, been given the position of CEO. What lies behind that uh, that appointment? Sure. So, uh, as you say, um, I've been involved, in, and our, our fund here, Windermere Capital, has, has been uh, the primary financier of Ariane for about five and a half years now, and, and we've watched this project uh, grow and assisted it to come from what was a, a patch of dirt to today, uh, arguably the best phosphate deposit on the planet, and so. Um, I did go on as uh, a board member a couple of years back and, and joined as CEO. It's a little under six months now. And the logic behind that, the, the company was uh, originally run by uh, a geologist who, who found this deposit, uh, then an engineer who put together a feasibility study and a very good mining plan, uh, at which point it moved over to our COO, who uh, is very well-versed in terms of getting projects um, permitted, uh, First Nations, etc., 
And with that all in place, um, it was uh, suggested to me by others on the board that, you know, with all of this in place, it's, it's now time for a deal. And uh, being a, a deal guy, um, it might be best now to, to shepherd this company through this stage. And, and so, you know, today we have a, a company here that, that's trading at 4% of its NPV. It's got a, a $2 billion net present value, uh, a market cap of, of sub $100 million. And my job is to bring about what I think is going to be one of three things. So either this company is going to be fully financed and, and we'll be putting a shovel in the ground. As I had mentioned earlier, you're talking about a project that's going to generate over $300 million a year in gross profits for 25, 30 years, probably more. Um, and so we've moved forward with our project finance advisors on that front. But at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. This business, 85% of mines are owned by the fertilizer company itself. It's a very mm-hmm. vertically integrated business. There are very few independent mines. Um, and, and once a company has to go out and buy someone else's phosphate rock and turn it into their map and dap, its profitability is, is very challenged. And, and so here in North America, Agrium, Mosaic, Potash Corp, they all import phosphate rock. And so here is this asset, and, and certainly the possibility of, of a deal being struck, um, one never knows. Uh, but that, that is something that we are in discussions with as well, um, talking about potential joint ventures. There's a, a lot of assets that could be put together with ours for us to also become vertically integrated. And certainly, as, as I'm sure some of your listeners who have watched the space, over the last few months, there have been a lot of deals in the space. Um, the Chinese have picked up the phosphate fertilizer assets of Anglo down in South America. There have been persistent rumors of Mosaic and Ballet coming together on some South American assets. Uh, Yara has been an acquirer of assets as of late, and, and right here in North America, there is the potential tie-up of, of Agrium and Potash. And so All right. I, All right. I, I, I see uh, a lot of opportunity here over the next few months to consummate something, and, and as you had started off by saying, these shares down at, at this level, I think it's going to be an interesting opportunity for, for investors. Well, it should, it it's, uh, definitely should be, Brian. Uh, just, we, we really uh, are out of time here, but let me just ask you uh, and just point out to my listeners that you have that M&A activity in your background uh, in, your financial, in the financial world that you've uh, lived in and also um, would just suggest that people should really take a close look at at your company, look at the uh, at, at all the information. It's at Arion. Uh, it's at Arion-Inc.com. Uh, but but Brian, the fact that you're trading at four percent of your NPV, um, I would I would hope that there's some competition for your asset there. That uh, these other fertilizer companies, uh, because the, it would be a shame to see you get taken out somehow uh, anywhere near that four percent figure. Well, I, I hope this- you can. 
Right. Well, at, at this point, Windermere owns uh, almost 20%, um, mm-hmm. and uh, insiders are, are probably uh, up another 5 6 7%. And so I, I think that if, if a deal were to happen, it, it would really have to be to the satisfaction of, of some of our larger shareholders. And, and you know, most of the large shareholders in this company understand that uh, the, the value of this asset and, and that um, at some point that the market will come to realize the value here. And uh, I don't think we will be uh, shaken out early. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it at that, Brian, because we are out of time. Uh, we'll have you back again sometime, we'll hopefully uninterrupted, and we can talk more about your story. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll look to do it again. Well, folks, uh, we're right here now. Alistair, McDare- McCle- excuse me. Alistair McLeod is with me, I think. Alistair, are you there? I'm here, Jay. Oh, you're over across the pond, over there in, over there in England somewhere, right. and yep. in Brexit country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, thanks for uh, for being with us again, Alistair. Uh, you've uh, you've been a guest here for many times, so I won't uh, take the time to read your bio, other than to tell people that uh, GoldMoney.com. You provide a lot of uh, a lot of commentary there, a lot of very valuable essays there that I think people should partake of. Um, I wanted to ask you today. You know, we we talked to Oliver uh, to uh, Michael Oliver a little earlier about this apparent breakdown between stocks and bonds where we used to see you know money coming out of stocks going into bonds and vice versa now it seems to be on down days you see money coming out of both uh, stocks and US treasuries uh, what do you make of that well I think it's quite simple um, the very very low yields on uh, sovereign debt basically uh, give the valuation to equities equities are not taking their valuation from underlying performance I mean, the mm-hmm. fact is that the few equities that pay a dividend nowadays pay a dividend which is probably greater than what you can get on a sovereign debt, whereas in the past <laughs> it used to be the other way around. And in a normal uh, cycle, um, you know, when uh, sovereign debt tops out, it tops out because there's demand for money, um, you know, businesses picking up for businesses and so on. Mm-hmm. So the, the emphasis shifts towards equities. This time it's absent, which actually I would have thought is rather worrying. I think it's rather worrying. Um, just really wondering. Um, I saw your your colleague James Turk, um, an article at uh, King World News. He said the world is headed for a crisis far worse than 2008, and he wondered what excuse the Fed would have uh, to would use to avoid raising interest rates the next time. Now I believe tomorrow uh, there's a, a rate decision. I believe uh, at the Fed. What are your thoughts on that? Can we, you, you, I mean, will they or will they not? And if they don't again, because they kept, they keep trying to to prime us all for rate rises, and then tomorrow and tomorrow never comes. It seems. My thought is they won't, but they should. The reason they should is actually quite simple. If you look at the uh, um, LIBOR, U.S. dollar LIBOR rate, uh, it has been rising quite sharply. The, the word is that uh, the rise in LIBOR has actually got to do with money market funds switching from prime lending into uh, buying government debt. Uh, there is obviously some truth in that, um, and it's ahead of regulatory changes next month. But having said that, uh, LIBOR has actually been rising for some time, and I don't think that's the only reason. The other thing I would draw your attention to 
is if you take M2, money M2, subtract from it money M1, you end up with a rough proxy for um, bank credit. And that mm -hmm. has been growing above trend all this year. So I put the two things together and I see um, uh, a higher level of uh, LIBOR, US dollar LIBOR, and an expansion of back, bank credit, which tells me there is demand for money out on the street. On that basis, in, uh, price inflation is likely to pick up next year beyond the Fed target by a reasonable measure, and the Fed should be anticipating it. But so far as I can see, the Fed isn't watching this at all. Well, yeah, I mean, they had a 2% target. I think I saw something about uh, 2.3 already or something like that. No, that's the Precisely. anticipation. Precisely. And it's so, going to rise further than that, I think. Well, I mean, wh why do you think the Fed won't? Because they're afraid of the stock market? I think they are. I think they're afraid also of uh, getting, um, uh, if you like, a, a bond bear market uh, going. Look at it this way. Um, bonds are so wildly overpriced that if they just return to normal, the fall in the value of bonds, particularly in the European banking system, would probably wipe out some systemically important banks. So we've got to the point where we cannot actually afford to have a bear market in sovereign debt. And I think that's, um, that's very worrying. It's very restrictive. I don't know how we get out of this. I guess what you're telling me is that not even the gods of, of um, the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England and the JGB can fool Mother Nature, in essence. So we've had this bull market in stocks, this bull market in bonds, which is largely, especially since 2008, 2009, so artificial, right? That is correct. It is um, entirely artificial, uh, as um, uh, the whole of monetary policy is artificial, and that's what's driving prices. The idea of negative interest rates is frankly ridiculous. Uh, yet we have, um, I mean, until recently, I think we had over $13 trillion worth equivalent of bonds on negative, uh, on negative yields. I think it's fallen a little bit because of the uh, slight correction in bond markets over the last 10 days or so. But it's still uh, completely ridiculous. I mean, would you um, pay someone, um, uh, it, you know, to take your money and to use it? No, you wouldn't. You would expect an interest return. I mean, it just stands everything on its head. It is a complete lunacy. But how do you get out of that? That is the problem. They've, they've ended up in a, at a sort of end point from which there appears to be no escape. Um, I'm sure that uh, this week we will get some hints of more dramatic, extraordinary measures. Goodness knows what they would be. But uh, I think I think it's um, I think they've just got driven themselves into uh, a, a cul-de-sac from which really there is no escape. Yeah, the lunatics are uh, in charge of the insane asylum, as they say. Yes. You you have uh, so so you have this possibility of even minuscule rate rises, not only not only smacking stocks down, but you could see a huge avalanche of of loss of confidence in the debt markets, huh? Well, just you a, could. You, yeah. Yes, you could, you could, Jay. I mean, it's, it's um, the underlying problem is we've had an expansion of the total quantity of debt, which has been unremitting and pretty well exponential for the whole of this century. 
I mean, I know the cemetery is only 16 years old, but it's, um, it has been at least that, if not longer. And we haven't had um, a sort of a washout, if you like, a crisis uh, to um, uh, force the reallocation of capital from businesses that do not deploy capital effectively to those that will use it effectively. The result is the underlying economy has really become very inefficient on the whole. And that is why we're getting no economic recovery at all, despite these lower interest rates. I mean, the whole system is effectively maxed out already and can't do anything with it. The other side of that is that if they start raising interest rates, the question then is, how far do they raise interest rates before they trigger the next slump? My guess is, is probably somewhere between one and a half and two and a half percent on the Fed funds rate. No more than that. That's yes. not a lot of problem. That's incredible. That's uh, that's that's just that's just uh, that's just incredible that that you can't that the that the economy can't take more than that because of the dis the dislocations that have been created uh, through this um, through this funny money that's been thrown out there. Uh, well, I guess maybe that that uh, I didn't you know not sure the entire content of James Turk's article. I don't know if you saw it, but it certainly would seem to me that. Um, uh, you know that what the picture you're painting there with the dislocations, uh, the structural problems that we have globally in the money a monetary system, uh, that that could set the stage for something very very ominous. Uh, nobody wants that to happen, but it is what it is, right? I mean, yeah, I something worse than 2008 is James overstating it. Is he being a little bit you know promotional there? I don't think James is overstating it. Uh, no, he's not inclined to be over promotional. I know him personally. He's he's not like that. No, exactly. Um, I, I, I think it is right to say that uh, the succeeding crises that we had, and if we look at back to the time when Alan Greenspan was there, um, we had uh, the, the post-dot-com um, uh, bubble um, right. crisis, if you like. Then we had the um, uh, the property crisis, the you know the subprime. Uh, loans and all the rest of it in in America, uh, which led to uh, the, the the Lehman crisis, and. This time round, I mean, those two, the first one was bad, the second one was awful, this third one is due to be even worse. And um, uh, the question then arises, where, where, is, where is it going to start? I think the central banks can probably hold things. I mean, you know, if we get a banking problem, let's say, in Europe or something like that, I have no doubt that they will rescue whatever systemic banks need to be rescued. Um, but the problem is, the underlying problem is the economy. I mean, the economy in Europe is in really a terrible state. I'll just quote to you the situation in, in, in Italy. Uh, sure. Just, just, just look at that one. In Italy, the non-performing loans are roughly, I think it's uh, something like 18 or 19 percent of GDP. Now, when you take into account that 52 percent of GDP is government, none huh. of that is non-performing loans. The non-performing loans are in 48% of the economy. Yeah. Non-performing loans represents very, very close to 40% of the private sector economy. How do you recover from that? And this is assuming, of course, that the non-performing loan figure is accurate and it's not worse than that. It could well be. In fact, it's likely to be. Oh. So, um, you know, it, you can rescue the banks all you like, but the problem is the underlying economy is in deep, deep trouble. And uh, I think that uh, Brexit, um, I mean, thank goodness we have said Brexit from my, you know, in, in my opinion, but we're not going to get out of there for another two years. I think various other countries are going to start 
um, sort of thinking, well, should we really be part of this? And um, not only that, but the people on the ground are beginning to rebel as well. I mean, you, you know, it's, you've heard about Greece and Portugal, sure. you're very much aware of. Um, the Italians as well, as they've got a referendum coming up, and um, uh, Matteo Renzi has said that, that uh, you know, if it goes against him, he will resign. That's what he first said, but he's been clawing back on that. I don't think he's going to resign. He realizes that this actually could be very, very serious. Um, France is full of people who um, want out. Um, I mean, uh, Marine Le Pen is the most popular next um uh, president um uh, nominee i mean she's she's way ahead of sarkozy and way way ahead of uh, Hollande uh, in the popularity <laughs> stakes as the next president um and merkel has i'm afraid um you know she's having having a very bad political result as a yes principally because of um the immigration problem uh, so i think the old order is in great difficulty and not only that um they are beginning to panic i think when it comes to trying to keep the whole show on the road how are they going to do it is the question because as you point out the the real economy ultimately is what supports all of these programs that the government has put in place that and these guys have gained power and have put themselves in privileged positions but once you destroy it's, it's you know it's like the parasites have eaten away at the flesh right and there's not there's nothing left to create cash flow to service the debt the debt hasn't gone away the debt continues to grow exponentially almost it seems with every every problem and I would go back to 1987 Alistair when the plunge protection team was put in place after the stock market crash of 87 and ever since then the market has never been allowed to go back to anything resembling um, uh, resembling normalcy I think resembling you know back back to equilibrium well no, I, I'm, you're right um, I said I think the fundamental problem in terms of uh, of uh, imbalance in this is that you've got basically one lender and a whole load of borrowers the lender is Germany and everybody else wants their money they've taken too much money uh, mm -hmm. which they can't repay Germany doesn't want to write its money off mm -hmm. um, yet you know the crunch is coming um, I think the ECB is probably in the firing line to try and hold the situation together as much as possible, but they can't do that indefinitely. Uh, and I think coming back to the basic point um, that you're saying, you know, we, we were talking about the Fed. I think that the, the major central banks actually do know that this is a major problem. And please, please don't rock the boat. And I think that's where they are. Do you think, Alistair, that's why they're getting ready for a cashless society are they getting ready now for a real totalitarian play a power play where they don't allow you to have any anything to do with your own money with your own wealth they basically have said we want control over everything you do uh, you know they're certainly starting to, to lay the groundwork for getting rid of the bigger bills the hundreds and the, the you know well, I guess in Europe they got rid of the the five hundreds right and what 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 are they doing there because the cashless society is what's being proposed by the you know supposedly the most brilliant people on earth the same people that have put us into this mess uh, yes you're absolutely right um, and I think uh, the the feeling I get is that um, most central banks even in some of the um, uh, some of the emerging economies are planning are on a sort of five-year time scale to do with, away with cash. I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous. The Swedes tried it, I think it was last year or was it the year before, and, and had to backtrack. 
Um, I think it's I think it's a step too far. But the reason they're doing it is really quite simple. Um, it does give them the flexibility to go further into negative interest rate right. territory. But I think they're probably backing off from that idea insofar as it just hasn't worked and they can see distortions being created in the market. Um, I think the other reason uh, they're doing it is actually a very, very uh, simple one. And that is, uh, as long as um, you are forced to keep your money within the banking system, uh, then or, as long as you're forced to keep your money within the banking system, then uh, the central banks can always rescue the banks. There cannot be a run on an individual bank uh, which is destabilizing because mm -hmm. it gets recycled through the money markets. But mm -hmm. when you queue up and you draw physical cash out of the bank, it's a very, very different thing. That is what creates a run on, on an individual bank. And I think that the central bankers are very, very aware of this danger and want to prevent it. Well, they certainly are. Uh, I think certainly are aware and certainly concerned. Um, with just a couple of minutes left, uh, bit gold, uh, gold money, now bit gold. Uh, Alistair, is it uh, is it true that you that those people who had their their gold at Gold Money before that's James Turk's uh, creation, Gold Money, which is now merged with the Bit Gold, and now they call the the whole entity Gold Money. Uh, is it possible now to take your gold from Gold Money, transfer it to the other accounts at Gold Money at uh, the Bit Gold accounts, and then use uh, and then use it as a payment system? Uh, we cut. We we haven't uh, yet set up, uh, if you like, a sort of a, a complete flow through. But it is on its way. So um, if you have any listeners who have accounts with us, uh, who have both accounts, as indeed I do, um, it is on its way. I'm very sorry, it's not there quite yet, but we are working on that. So the way it works now is you'd have to sell your gold at the old gold money account. Uh, and then buy gold again and put it in the other account if you wanted to do it that way. That's the only way you can do it now. You can't just simply transfer the grams of gold from one account to the next. Yeah, but that's on its that, way. Yeah, I think, yes, it, it's, it's on its way. I mean, there has been an awful lot of integration um, uh, undertaken between um, you know, the, the, the two sides. What we've now rebranded as Gold Money Wealth and uh, the bit gold side which is now rebranded as gold money personal there has right. been a lot of uh, work on 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 integration and that is continuing and i hope that that facility will be with right. us very very soon so all right we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to let it go with that alistair we're out of time thank you so much for your patience and for being with us again i hope we can do it again sometime soon that's been my pleasure, Jay. Thank all you. All right, folks. That's all the time we have this week. Next week, David Stockman will be with us to talk about his new book, Trumped, A Nation on the Brink of Ruin and How to Bring It Back. I know you won't want to miss what David Stockman has to say, so please join me next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.